Welcome to Sounds Out of Time, the podcast that showcases older music that matters. I'm your host, Matt Kohut. My guest, Anna Eggy, is a singer-songwriter's singer-songwriter. Since 1997, she's released a dozen albums, and she's worked with greats ranging from Steve Earle to Iris DeMint. Her latest album, Between Us, came out in mid-September. My favorite track is The Closer, We Lay Roses, which she wrote as a eulogy for her nephew. I can imagine when she plays it live, you're going to be able to hear a pin drop in the room. It's that kind of song. Here's my conversation with Anna Eggy. Anna Eggy, welcome to Sounds Out of Time. Great to be here. Your work is really rooted in the singer-songwriter tradition, but I don't think it's bound by the cliches of it. Your new album, Between Us, has all kinds of sounds and textures to it. How has your approach to songwriting changed and evolved over time? Well, I think that I always was really drawn to music as a kid. I'm hard of hearing, and I found that sense of kind of space where where I could listen to music alone. I, I felt really comfortable. And before I could write, I would scribble on my parents' cassettes so that I knew which ones I liked. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it just gave me such a good belonging sense to listen to music that made me feel good. And when I was a teenager, lots of, I was drawn to singing and playing the guitar and a lot of our hippie friends really um, stepped up and gave me lots of music that they loved. So that influenced me greatly and that realization too that a lot of music is actually written by someone, someone makes it up, (laughs) you know? That was a big eye opener for me as a kid. Oh, I can, people do that. And so, then I started doing that. It just didn't occur to me, you know, that that was supposed to be tricky or something that most people don't do. It just seemed, it just was a natural thing. And my mom was a English teacher and she influenced me to um, encourage me to write every day in my journal. And so that sort of personal expression um, just extended into the guitar, which also made me feel more comfortable in expressing myself. And so I think that personal connection has remained and way of trying to understand the world and myself in it. And why am I here? The deep philosophical spiritual questions. And it continues to be that way that I can connect with others, um, being kind of more of an internal um, quiet person. I'm not much of a performer. Like, here, look at me. That's not, that's not really me. So it continues to be that, but I guess, you know, the more I open up to, I'm a big reader and I love music so much. Like you commented on my Buzzcocks shirt that I'm wearing. I <laughs> I love all kinds of music and I, I love meeting new people and going new places. So I guess just a little bit of a sponge. And I hope that all that stuff comes out somehow refracted through this prism of my songwriting. When you were a kid, you said there were a lot of hippie influences around you musically. What were your parents listening to in the house? What were their friends listening to? And what seeped in and stuck with you? They listened to a lot of The Grateful Dead. And one of my mom's friends really was into Bonnie Raitt. And, you know, Bob Marley, um, Tracy Chapman, lots of vocalists, you know, like Elvis, um, I mean, the Harris, 
a lot of stuff in like the more ballady kind of tradition, I guess. And then lots of different friends uh, as I got older would brought me, you know, Joni Mitchell, Charles Mingus, Mississippi John Hurt, some more of the influencers of the music that my parents listened to, you know, the sort of the uh, generation or the, the people who fed some of the artists that I first was exposed to. When you started writing songs, were there songwriters who you were conscious of trying to emulate or were you simply writing whatever came to mind? Hmm. I don't know if it was consciously trying to emulate, but I definitely was drawn to certain artists and I learned a lot of songs and I still love to learn songs by musicians that blow my mind. Like I recently had to sit down and learn a David Byrne song. The one about kind of like, what's it called? Something about capitalism. It's like, walking, knocking, standing, reporting. Do you know that one? Because there's this chord change that's just insane. I had to understand what was going on. I mean, he's just so, he's remained one of my favorites, consistently making amazing work. What was the question again? I got off on my David Brown tangent. Oh, it was just whether there were songwriters you were emulating or if you were simply following the muse in your head when you started out. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, you know, I, I knew I was gay pretty young, like 15, and I was really empowered by the Indigo Girls and this other artist that was on their label named Kristen Hall. So I learned, I learned a lot of their songs. I learned a lot of um, Grateful Dead songs. I learned a lot of, you know, kind of uh, folk songs that the, the dead played. Learned some Bob Marley, you know, so I think the initial chord structure forms from, from those people's music definitely informed what I was writing. Um, I mean, you know, because I only knew like five chords or whatever. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess I'll use an A minor. But yeah, I've never, I've never, I, I have a lot of friends that are like that. They're like, I want to write a song that's like this, you know, or that I, I want to have a horn part that's like this. I've never been that person. That That's amazing. That's amazing how people work like that. Like, I want the guitar to sound just like this song on the Rolling Stones record number 30, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, I'm not. I've never... <laughs> I've never been like that. I just kind of like to see what happens. When I asked you about a song that had been a great influence or inspiration, you mentioned Elizabeth Cotton's Freight Train. What was it about that song? When did you first hear it? What grabbed you about it? I mean, there's so much to grab you about it. That's kind of a ridiculous question, but just tell me a little bit about what it's meant to you. You know, I've been thinking about that more and more since I suggested that song. And it's so interesting because... You know, I, I was born in 76 and I don't honestly know the first time I heard that song because I think it was so a part of kids music and it was in that book, you know, Sing Out. So it was almost like one of those songs, I think, that was a bit like Twinkle Twinkle or something that then I just like there's the story behind Twinkle Twinkle. It's like, oh, there's it's so um it's one of those just it's so fully formed it's so it means so much that song that actually when I learned the Mississippi John Hurt song Miss Collins Lewis Collins and it has very it has a very similar chord structure and melody for the verse you know I thought oh this is this just sounds so much like freight train and then I was like Oh yeah, freight train. <laughs> you know, I was probably 15 or 16. So then I went back and learned that as well. And it is 
I mean, it is such an incredible song. It's, I don't even know where to start. Melodically, the chords are so cool. And, but then the, what she says in it is so, it's so big. It feels like a spiritual because she's speaking to the Lord. And she's, she's writing as a young kid, right? Or preteen about this train that's passing by. And she's already like had to quit school to work as a servant. And so she's, it's full of longing of being able to go away and being on that train, going to see, you know, what's out there in the world and have experiences and then full circle coming back and being buried here where her home is, right? There's a couple verses about being buried. And, and, and the, the feeling behind that is just like peaceful, acceptance, not, not longing to still be alive, but having like gone away, seen the world, come back, you know. And then also then there's that she references being able to steer, still hear the train when she's buried and almost like still being cool with, yeah, everyone else is still out there living, having a great time, and I'm happy about, for them. I mean, it's just like, it's so huge. It's such an amazing song. Let's hear a little bit of it. When I'm dead and in my grave, no more good time, yeah, I crave. Praise the stone at my head and me tell them all that I'm gone to You know, it's very similar for me. I feel like I grew up, and I couldn't tell you when I heard that. I'm about a decade older than you. But that how that song was in our house when I was a kid. My dad was playing it when he was learning to finger pick. And I literally couldn't tell you it when I first heard it because it was just part of the water. <laughs> it was part of the air. It was always around. And it's just remarkable like that. It really does seem like a spiritual in the sense that it almost has an eternal feel. And yet this woman wrote this song. Like you said before, you can think about songwriting as something that an individual person can do. <laughs> and this remarkable woman, Elizabeth Cotton, wrote this song. And it's such a it's such a gift to all of us. And it really is so much a part of the culture these days. It's it's rather remarkable. Yeah, and it's, it's such a it's such a pure expression of her. And it's I don't know, there's so much beauty in it that she could tell so much, you know, and that she had her own personal style expressed through the instrument, having taught herself to play left-handed upside down, you know, much like Jimi Hendrix, I guess, is like, but she's finger picking. And so that she has that like intimate personal expression on the instrument. And then she's, she's speaking from such a personal place. I mean, it's just, it's also tender, you know, and it's, and there's also in the lyrics, there's this movement with the train. And so you feel, and the propulsion with her finger picking. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's really one of those perfect pieces. The story of the song is so incredible. I'm not a historian, so I don't know exactly all what happened. Do you, do you know? I don't know. Tell me more. 
Well, I think, I don't know, like, I don't know when it was first recorded, honestly, or how, but the story that I've heard was that she got married and had a kid, and then she basically stopped playing for a while, just working in life and everything. And then she, I think she might've been working at a department store, or maybe she was just there, but somehow she helped a lost kid find her mom. And that was like one of the Seegers. And then somehow through that, she got hired as a maid for the Seegers. And they're obviously a huge musical family. (laughs) And she started playing it. She's, I think, I mean, I can imagine, I'll just make up a story that she's like, oh, I used to play the guitar. Oh, really? And then she starts playing the guitar and like kind of brings it back and starts playing more and starts sharing songs that she wrote. And I can imagine their minds being blown. (laughs) But then through that, and her sharing her songs with them. Then they brought those songs to England and an artist I'd never heard of recorded Freight Train and claimed that they'd written it <laughs> and had a hit with it in England. And <laughs> then the Seegers, you know, took care of that legally and, and rightly got her, um, her publishing rights back for her. But apparently that was like one of the first songs that started the skiffle movement that was like the folk pre you know folk rock pre the the thing that the beatles were doing <laughs> and that song was a major influence on the quarry men which is, oh, i had no idea it influenced skiffle huh yeah well i mean that's what i read so you know who knows but it feels like one of those you know currents that build into a wave you know that then all of a sudden is the british invasion <laughs> The power of that song, you know, it's like a riptide. So incredible. Absolutely. That's a lot to even think about. I I just was focused so much on the song itself, but knowing all the backstory of it just adds a whole different level of appreciation for it. Right. And I mean, and even, but even more powerful in a way is like that sense that you and I just always have known it. Like we don't know when the first time we heard it was, you know, (laughs) such a beautiful thing, music that one can express themselves in their heart from wherever she wrote that when whatever age she was. And then it affects so many people. Speaking of affecting people and their hearts, I wanted to ask you about your new album and really how much you've been working over the past 18 months or so. You've been very busy during the pandemic, at least based on what you've been putting out. You released a single called The Ship, And your new album, Between Us, came out just a few days ago. What's it been like for you to create during this time? It's been really necessary, I guess. I really felt drawn to work through a lot of stuff that was coming up with confrontation and with people that certain things can't be resolved. And why that and why is that, you know, when there's such differing of opinions and such strong feelings between me and other people. And then of course, different, you know, political factions and uh, all these people that all feel that they're right and feel that they're hurt. It's so much and it's so exaggerated these days. And it feels so important that we examine that and try to work through it. So it's, it's just painful, you know, and that's one of the things that I think music can touch on in a way that is palatable. Pain 
can be explored in music, much like, but obviously a very different thing. I think graphic novels drawn images, you know, of things like racial violence or and or the Holocaust, racial violence towards Jews in books like Mouse can be expressed and received and talked about in ways, new ways because of that medium. Music has such an emotional and personal way that we all experience it. I feel like it's unique that we can potentially explore issues that are painful and divisive and and difficult. So I figured why not give it a shot? (laughs) This is me giving it a shot. Is there a track on your new album Between Us that you think goes most directly at that challenge of giving it a shot that you just mentioned? Yeah, the song We Let the Devil. We let the devil come between us. Now he doesn't want to go. He wants us to keep fighting because he knows what devils know. The fighting just leads to more fighting. So yeah, that song, the lyrics are very, very, you know, and that's that's the other interesting thing about music often is if you have protagonists, most people assume that it's about a love relationship, about a romantic relationship. (laughs) This is one of the things that I just have to accept. But many of these songs are not about romance and not about amour. I will give that as a little nugget to the listeners that might explore the songs. (laughs) Some of these songs, you know, could be you and your uncle or you and, you know, they could be speaking to you in a new way. Um, Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the first track on the album, Wait a Minute. which really has this great R&B feel to it. Like I said, mm-hmm. at the top, you're really not bound or in any way limited by what you might think of as the cliches of the singer-songwriter world. What was it like to develop that track with such a just wonderful groove and feel to it? Well, a lot of the songs on this record and the last two records, I've while writing, I've simultaneously written horn parts Um, in my head and I don't necessarily know that they're going to be but I hear the melodies and then I hum those along with the melody that becomes the song the lyrics and so um, you know when I sang the demo for that for the producer you know it had the wait a minute baby slow down you know so I had the (laughs) I had that in my head so I knew and the horn parts on the record, they all, they're very present, you know? So yeah, it just felt totally natural to explore that with the musicians that, that we invited in to join. Um, and a lot of my, a lot of my records sound different from each other. And I think that's primarily because I, because of the musicians that I'm drawn to work with, I really, I invite them because I love what they do and how they, how they play and how they sing. And so really there's a lot of personality on each record that is the unique group of musicians performing in the studio on that in that moment. 
And of course, that's me directing and choosing who they are. So there's that. That's the one unifying thing from record to record. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about influences lately, thinking about records that I've listened to a ton or artists that I really like just absorbed a lot from. And I was just listening to some Etta James and some Ann Peebles. And I listened to them so much in my early 20s when I was living in Austin and making my first couple of records. And, you know, they're the horns on those so many of those songs. They're so integral. And they're right from the top, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe this is where maybe this is how it snuck in there, you know. But it is really um, it's really telling, you know, like you say, what how what influenced me? I mean, that must have. And I love both of those vocalists so much, how how expressive and how they sing so behind the beat. And again, like it, it wasn't ever conscious. I'm, I'm going to sing like them, but I really, really listened to a lot of their records and and obviously sang a, around, along a lot in the car <laughs> to them, you know, just as much as I listened to Lyle Lovett and, you know, Sam Phillips and I don't know. Yeah. Well, it clearly seeped in pretty deep. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you, Matt. If you like Sounds Out of Time, please sign up at soundsoutoftime.substack.com to get transcripts, playlists, and links to all kinds of interesting listens. Or please rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Special thanks to digital guru Matt White. And remember, if your ear is thirsty for something new, try something old. Until next time, this has been Matt Kohut, bringing you Sounds out of time.